Thank you for listening to the FCS Podcast with your hosts, Joe DeLeon and Sean Anderson. Here on the Believe Podcast Network, do you believe? And you're listening to the FCS Football Podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by my wonderful friend, Mr. Sean Anderson. We are your go-to source for FCS football content, coming to you from the mouths of two soon-to-be former FCS football players at the University of Rhode Island. One last week, one One, more game to go. One more. One more game to go, and we'll we'll have some time to reflect on that next week. But Sean, this past week... Does anyone want to hear about that? I think so. About our a lot of people, a lot of questions are always geared towards you know like what what was it like that kind of thing, and I think that uh, we would definitely get a good response from that. All right. But this past game, Sean, I think I played in like a top three coldest game I've ever played in. Oh yeah. Like in any football game when we were we when we were at Maine, and it was the real feel was in like the tens somewhere in that range. Also, who does Brian Javier Castillo think he is warming up without a shirt on? Uh, Did you see May. Jake Fire? What was he? What was Fire doing? Jake Fire was wearing no sleeves and no leggings, just normal game day attire. Yeah, he thinks he's Luke Keekley. He's insane. He also had a he also had a a, a very long kickoff return. <laughs> oh wait, what? <laughs> yeah, they uh, they kicked a um, a sky kick to him, and he, he Jake's not backing down from anyone, so he took that thing upfield. <laughs> Caught about the 35, took it about to like the 50. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that way fire. Yeah, he barreled through. They tried to do it again. It didn't work as well the second time. <laughs> Give him hell, fire. fire. He also almost had a pick six, which he oh. he dropped. Oh. Yeah. A lot of people were <laughs> like, oh, oh come on, gosh. Jake. I was yelling at him like, you know, that's why you got to put some damn gloves on. <laughs> Said he's got tape all over him. Like, what that? what's that going to do? It's exactly why you wear gloves. But, eh, it's a mental thing. Yeah. Sean, though, easily. One of the coldest games. You you didn't make the trip, but no, they 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 spared me a six hour bus ride on a <laughs> on, on a bus where I would have likely had to sit next to somebody because no, I would they, not have been uh, playing. They did a good job of making a senior only bus, so everyone There's had a their senior own only seat. bus. Yeah, they had three oh. buses with a senior only bus. Made sure everyone had their. How own about seat. that? Yeah, they did a, <laughs> a good job about it. I think they did the same thing the last time we traveled to Maine. I don't think it was a, it was offensive defense, except like it was oh, the, it was big guys. Yeah, big guys yeah. had like their own bus. That's what it was, but I, I kind of we ended up losing this game. It was still though it was it was very nerve wracking as always as these we lose these close games uh, on, on final plays. But I want to give a shout out though to our equipment staff because they were did an incredible job of making sure guys were properly warm and and not freezing by bringing you know make sure they had heaters. We also were the only team that had jackets to put on when we weren't on the field. Things like that, also giving out extra leggings, hand warmers, anything that they could do to keep everybody warm. So I just want—I feel like it's not talked about enough, especially considering last year we had an equipment manager that was subpar and wouldn't have done anything yeah, like that. Russ can rot in a hole. Uh, <laughs> James and Al are so awesome, and James has changed Al because when when it was Russ and Al, Al was like miserable almost to Russ's standard. I mean, Russ is one of the worst people I've ever met in my life. But James came in, and James is positive, and he's energetic, and he's 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 he will give you things if you need them. And now Al is nicer, also. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree, though, that there's a big difference now. But Al, <laughs> Al was being really funny before the game because like, kids kept coming up and they're like, oh, let me get a hand warmer. So I was like, well, what, what do you got for me? I was like, $10. <laughs> <laughs> so surprisingly in a good mood despite having to deal with all that, that um, the poor weather. But just odd experience. We're going to actually end up addressing it a little bit later because of a, a question that we have in Kwame's corner from Kwame himself. Oh. We'll, we'll tease that a little bit. We'll get to that later. But before we do anything, we need to grab a cup of water here at the water cooler because there's a couple things that we need to talk about, Sean. First being, we have six teams that have clinched a right to the playoffs by winning their conferences with victories this past weekend. Those teams that we are naming here is North Dakota State, JMU, Monmouth, Central Connecticut State, Wofford, and San Diego all clinched. And because of the severity and the and the um, how important this was that all these teams that were clinching, we're going to do today's show a little bit differently, where we're only going to be recapping one game, and we're going to take some time to discuss the conference outlook and what we should be expecting with this final week of football left to play. So, Sean, was there seeing all these teams clinch? Were there any real real surprises that we you didn't really consider at the beginning of the year? I didn't think Wofford was going to win it out. I didn't I, like I said, um I didn't think Central Connecticut State was even going to was going to do as well as they did and they they proved me wrong and uh so they they kind of turned a, turned me into a fan of them of how they could um play this year. That was a big surprise. I think we did have San Diego pretty high up in uh, yeah. in the Pioneer. Yes, in the Pioneer yes. League. I know that we had Drake also pretty high up and Drake didn't have a, a terrible season uh, either, but um I mean, North Dakota State, JMU, pretty standard. And then it was either going to be Monmouth or Kennesaw State uh, from the Big South. So Yeah, I think the big surprise was definitely Monmouth because they're a good football team, but I don't know if a ton of people would have expected them to beat out Kennesaw State and also Campbell. But Wofford really snuck up on us. I didn't even – I don't know about you, but I didn't even really fully realize that they were that close to clinching, that all they needed was this victory. I didn't fully – acknowledge that right. until the game ended up ending and Wofford had the victory over Furman. They had just been hanging around the whole season while Furman was taking all the glory and then they came in there and they stopped them. Yeah, it's all really about how you play in conference and how you perform and we're going to find out later <laughs> that those in-conference wins are important for a different conference that is a bit of a mess <laughs> with the lack of good oh, yeah. teams that they have. <laughs> but the upset bug continues is our second point here at the water cooler because Montana beat Weber State. That was a huge surprise considering how good Weber State was and also the fact that they had Josh Davis playing for them. Wofford beat Furman, who Furman was considered to be one of the top teams, especially after getting a high ranking by the FCS committee poll. South Dakota State had a huge game against Northern Iowa, getting a big win, dominating win over Northern Iowa, securing themselves as arguably an easy top eight seed. And then the final one, not as much of an upset that you might recognize because Sam Houston State was not ranked, but they lost to Northwestern State of all teams, and they were in possible contention to maybe win their conference and also make the playoff. Right now, they're on their heels. Yeah. I mean, Montana beating Weaver State is massive because that just shakes up the whole big sky. And then Wofford beating Furman, that solidifies their conference. South Dakota State beating Northern Iowa was a huge, huge win after the loss they took the week before. Uh, that is a massive game uh, for them to beat Northern Iowa. And then Sam Houston State, I mean, they've been they've been playing spoiler all year, and now they got spoiled. Yeah, they really got spoiled on 
a bunch of teams not playing well when they need to play in the most important time, which is these final two weeks of the college football season. Final one. And it just it, you're, it, you're it, a little yeah, okay. I'm a little juiced up. I'll let you do thank, it. Thank you. Okay, so the third cup at the water cooler, and Joe's gonna revel in this in this little cup. You know, he's been a long day in the he cup. Just, he, he's he's <laughs> gonna re- yeah, you're gonna revel in the cup, the water you're drinking. <laughs> you, you had a long day at the office. You, you've been working for two straight hours. You're getting a little parched. You go over there, and then oh man, it's coming out crisp. You pick up the cup, and it's UNH lost again after being <laughs> put in the top ten seedings two weeks ago, and they lost to Albany and in conference opponent 24 to 17 joseph the, the, review this this cup of water i'm so freaking mad <laughs> this makes me so much more mad after the fact that they were ranked as a top 10 seed in those initial um sneak peek style rankings by the committee it, it just proves that the committee has a tendency and so does the coaches poll to overvalue good programs because I did not think UNH belonged there, and we see that very clearly now. They're too young. They were not ready to play in that spotlight. You put them on the spot, and they crumbled. That's what happened. You, you should have just given them, like, 15 there, not 10. Yeah. yeah. Not 10. If, if you really want to acknowledge them, maybe just throw in, like, oh, they were kind of in contention, but obviously they're not going to do that. Right. Just uh, mind-boggling. <laughs> God. I, I think everyone else is just as mad as I am. And also relieved that they proved do that they think, don't belong. Do you think there. everyone else is really just as mad as you are? I don't. Th- a lot of people were like, "What the hell, UNH?" We had a lot of people saying that on social media, and we even had a question that was straight up, "What the hell, UNH?" <laughs> from Kwame. So, uh, I I think a lot of people were were upset and disappointed because they thought that their teams belong in that contention and in that spot at the ten seed. So they proved that they did they did not earn it, and they did not deserve to be there now we do have two teams though that do deserve and maybe deserved to be in those top eight uh 10 seeds in that initial ranking and they're in our game that saved our jobs the one game that we're doing this week and that's Wofford beating Furman 24 to 7 they get the Southern Conference victory secure a bid in the playoff with so much on the line here key player in this game Blake Morgan 22 attempts 147 yards and one touchdown was not the only guy that was gashing them on the ground with that wonderful option attack that they run. Furman hit home with a huge punt return in the beginning of the game to score their only seven points of the entire contest. So it looks like Furman is doing what they do, which is winning on defense and on special teams uh, after they force Wofford to punt. But there's a lot more football game to play after that. After Wofford's option and rushing attack was just way too much for them to handle, kept gashing Furman for huge gains inevitably makes the score 14 to 7 at halftime. A huge defensive stand on fourth and one in the third quarter at the very end keeps them out of the end zone. Furman decides to be aggressive, not enough to get it, not able to score. So that keeps Wofford in a comfortable lead. And the fourth quarter at this point was pretty much Wofford running down their throats and trying to chew clock, which is what they do really, really well when they have that lead and when the deck is stacked in their favor yeah Furman got a little taste of their own medicine because that's how Furman meticulously picks apart their opponents and Wofford was ready to play and really with these two teams that play very similarly Wofford just looked like they wanted it more and I mean both teams there was obviously some actual aggression between these two teams because when you see ball carriers going down the middle or running to the outsides they're not just getting a little push or getting forced out of bounds the defensive backs and linebackers are going for a full 
a full tackle out of bounds. Uh, there was no love lost between these two teams. It was a fun football game to watch. Even though the score is not indicative that it was a fun game to watch, it was fun because when you see these option offenses and they're running and they're getting creative and there's big hits on the defensive side, it makes it a fun game to watch. And Furman just got outmanned, really. Just they, I think Wofford wanted it more. Yeah, I think Furman also was throwing the ball a little bit more than they're, yeah. they're comfortable with. We A lot of plays that we saw on tape were a lot of throws, which is uncharacteristic of this, this Furman team. Obviously, with Wofford, I mean, if you're playing Furman, you understand you're going to have to to kind of settle settle seven in the box and, and defend the run. And if Furman sees that as a trend, which they know that's going to happen, then you have to be able to be able to throw the ball. And then above that, you have to be able to throw the ball effectively. That is what they couldn't do in this game. I also think that Wofford being now a dangerous team to make a run in the playoffs, just from watching them play on both sides of the ball very, very well. And the one thing that really stood out to me is that all these compact, shifty runners they have, they're all in that like 5'9", 5'10", range. They're not very big. Their quarterback, Joe Newman, looks like Kyler Murray out there in terms of size. So they're all built like little running backs, and they're so quick, they're so shifty, they're so hard to tackle. Having guys like that that are that athletic and um, slippery, if you will, it just makes things so difficult for an opposing defense, and w- which is essentially what happened in this game. All right, segment three, Sean. We have our surprising scores, and we have two Ivy League games. So the first one... I'll let you handle this one. Go ahead. Huge shocker. Dartmouth, the undefeated team in the Ivy League, loses to a two-win Cornell team, 20-17. to 17. How about that? That is shocking. You don't expect that, 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 to that That's very shocking. Yeah. I, I, I am disappointed in my Dartmouth team there. I'm very disappointed in them. But mine, my segment three, shocking game of the week, Yale 51, Princeton 14. <laughs> Yale put him on him. And yet again, here I am uh, uh, talking up uh, Princeton. All I'm hearing is about how good Princeton is, how good their recruits are. They got an Alabama commit on their bench. Their quarterback is supposed to be uh, going to the draft or whatever. He got stomped out by Yale. So I'm not going to ask for an apology on Twitter, but after this show, I'm going to start to get to a little bit of gloating a little bit. I'm I'm going to start patting myself on the back because everybody was talking about how great Princeton was, and now they're getting stomped out by Yale by, what is this, uh, 30, let's see here, do the math, 37 points? Good job, you did it. Yeah, and and uh, it's thirty-seven also, points, Joe. It's also worth acknowledging that uh, when you went on the Rob Dibble show this week, you you spoke on Yale and a, a good potential for them to upset Princeton. They did exactly that. They did exactly that. I am a soothsayer. No, that's not true. Uh, I'm sure Yale. What a soothsayer. A soothsayer. Yeah. What the heck does that mean? It's like a it's like a fortune teller. Oh, I've yeah. Never no, heard of that before. No, I, that, that's that's a, actually making words up in Virginia. Very, <laughs> Virginia. It's like I know. I'm just, what are the, I'm just giving you a hard time. No, but uh, <laughs> but Yale definitely surprised everybody beating Princeton, and a lot of people thought Princeton was going to be able to bounce back, and they didn't. Well, let's get fat, Sean, because we have <laughs> two running backs this week that had some chubby. Uh, arguably you know, obese performances in this past week in their games. Why don't you hit on your your first guy, who's someone that we uh, like to talk about? My running back and my fat stat of the week, Eastern Tennessee State University, Quay Holmes, 26 rushes for 255 yards and three touchdowns. That's about as fat as it can get for a running back on the ground. See, I, I got 
too excited when I saw my guys. I, I don't know. think I looked far enough to you, see you didn't. Quay I know Holmes. You, I know you didn't. I was happy to see that, that yeah. Quay had done done better than your guys. Monmouth, Peter Guerrero, 30 attempts, 237 yards. So just a little bit shy of what Holmes was able to put up. More carries. Also had three touchdowns. Two huge days yeah. for arguably some of the best running backs in the FCS. Both fat. Yes. Very, very fat. Both are fat. I'll, I'll give you the nod yeah. of the fatness. Yeah, maybe you're fat by like a pound or two more. Yeah. Which well, is, you know, like that in real life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the way we're going to continue this show here, we have a new segment that we're doing today, which is Conference Outlook. We're going to be talking about and, and speculating what we think is going to be happening with these remaining conferences that don't have a team clinching. So that means these final games on this final week of FCS football is going to determine who is going to the playoff, who is winning their conference. There's a lot on the line. So just to recap, though, what we said earlier, JMU secured the CAA. Central Connecticut State secured the Northeastern Conference. Monmouth wins the Big South over Kennesaw State. North Dakota State, the Missouri Valley Conference, which is pretty much expected at this point. San Diego, winning the Pioneer for back-to-back years, and then finally Wofford with the big win over Furman, getting them the Southern Conference. So our first conference that we're going to take a look at is honestly a perplexing one because there are so many things that come into play for this because we have three teams in contention to possibly win the big sky. Yep. There's almost too much that I – for when I put these notes together, I tried to put in there what needed to happen, and there's just – so many moving pieces that I couldn't even fully acknowledge it. But you got Montana at six and one in the conference, nine and two on the year. Sacramento State six and one in the conference, eight and three on the year. And then Weber State six and one, eight and three on the year. And then right behind them is Montana State at eight and three, five and two, who's playing Montana. So Montana right now is in the best possible position to win this if they beat Montana State. But if Montana State upsets Montana this week in a huge rivalry game, we could have a complete shift in what would happen. I think that the if that does happen, Sacramento State would have the edge because they beat Montana. That's nuts. That's, uh, that's too many moving pieces. Yeah. So basically, it makes our jobs easier here yeah. if, if, if Montana just beats Montana State. But it makes our jobs better if Montana State beats Montana. Because then it we, saves our job. Yes. <laughs> so who who are you picking? Who do you think is going to be winning the Big Sky? It's hard to to count out Montana right here. I think they're going to play really. They've been playing really well in November, and I think they're going to continue this. And it's we'll be touching and diving into this game on the Thursday show between Montana and Montana State. But I'm take I'm probably going to be taking Montana to win the Big Sky overall. I'm also going to be picking Montana too to win the Big Sky. And just looking at the rest of this conference, there's a good shot that we have four teams making it, even if Montana State loses this week. So it would be Montana State, Weber State, Sacramento State, and Montana. No matter what happens if some of these teams lose, I would say it's pretty much a a golden ticket that all four of these teams... They have eight wins. Yeah, they all have eight wins. They're in a good spot. Now, the real question here is Eastern Washington, who is six and five. And I think that Eagles fans might be making that push and hoping something maybe happens. But if you look at their schedule, they don't have many big wins and they've got a lot of bad losses. So Jacksonville State and Idaho really kills them 
And I would argue that both of those losses are enough to keep them out of it. Maybe they're the last team in. Maybe. You would have to have so many teams lose ahead of you. Yeah. If you're if you're Eastern Washington to uh, sneak your way in. It's going to be a tough tough call by the committee there. Yeah. Up next, Ohio Valley Conference, which is a little bit easier to pick because there's only two obvious teams that are fighting it out, but we got a third hovering right behind them. So Austin P currently has the lead and right behind them is Southeast Missouri State. They're both 6 and 1 in conference and 8 and 3. From what I understand because Austin P has the victory over Southeast Missouri State. If they win, it's pretty much a lock for them. They get they they're winning the conference. Yeah. That being said though, Sean, who do you think is going to end up winning it? Well, when you put it that way, it's hard to pick against Austin P. I mean, they're probably they're going to win this week and then that that's just going to be how it is. I think Southeast Missouri State's obviously going to continue in, and then Tennessee Martin uh, in the third place here, unranked. But if they went out here, they have eight wins. If they win this week, they're eight and four, and then that that's just how it is. I think that they could have three coming from the Ohio, Ohio <laughs> Valley Conference. <laughs> UT Martin has a tough game this week. They're playing Kentucky, so <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, well, but still, you, that's not really going to count for much because they also played Florida, so they have two FBS games. If it's relatively competitive, also if it's even a blowout, I don't think that would hurt them that much. But I would argue that they are also a playoff team. Yeah, seven, seven, seven and, win. A 7-5, two FBS opponent. Um, Ohio Valley team, I'm picking UT Martin way over. I would pick um, a seven-win Eastern Washington team. So I would also. Yeah, so that's how that's looking out. We could have three teams from the Ohio Valley. It's looking in very good shape that we do have three teams. Now... Now comes the – I don't even want to talk about this conference just because go. of how freaking complicated it is. So the Patriot League continues to just have multiple teams that don't want to win it. Everyone's just <laughs> everyone's just like, no, you take it. No, you take it. I don't want to go to the playoff. No, you take it. So we have all these teams that are not in contention to have a, a, a good record. Because right now, looking at it, you've got Holy Cross at four and one, six and five. They're six and five. Then you have Lafayette, who's three and eight, but is right behind Holy Cross at three and two in the conference. I don't know how the hell that happens. Bucknell is behind them, three and two, three and seven overall in their overall record. Lehigh four and six, three and two in conference, and then Colgate, who's out of contention, four and eight, three and three in conference. <laughs> you give me a look here. What's the? <laughs> it's just. It's so unfathomable that Lafayette is three and two in conference, and they've all, all of their conference wins or all of their wins are in conference. So if they if Holy Cross loses and Lafayette wins, and it, it's Holy Cross should be a lot better. They should have a better in conference record, and it shouldn't be this close going into November. No, the Holy Cross is going to need that victory because if they don't win and they end up being. Six and six, that's just not a good enough record. You could argue that UNH win kind of helps them a little bit, but not being clean enough early in the year has hurt them. But per stats FCS, we have the teams in the, in the circumstances here that Lehigh, Lafayette, Bucknell, and Holy Cross are all in contention of having a shot here. Holy Cross is the best shot with all they need is to clinch a victory over Georgetown. Now, I don't really fully understand the rest of the, fall, the, the the falling pieces here. But the Lafayette-Lehigh huge rivalry that is being played this weekend will have some implications. So if Holy Cross loses, 
and whoever wins this game has a chance to make it in depending on what happens with Bucknell. So uh, just so many damn moving pieces. Sean, who are you picking? So either Lafayette or Lehigh can cancel each other out here in this next week. What do you mean by cancel each other well, out? Well, they're not. They're playing each other. Yes. So one of them will have four wins. One of them will have three yeah. wins. Okay. Yeah. So that clears it up a little. I, Holy Cross, I guess. <laughs> I guess Holy Cross. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm picking Holy Cross. I think that Georgetown's a good team, but I, I think Holy Cross is probably going to have the edge in this game. Also, per stats, FCS, if you're wondering, only Holy Cross and Lafayette can claim an automatic bid to the playoff, and I'm assuming that is just because of overall record and, and how they're uh, – how they've performed in the se- during the season. So last conference It can't here, be overall record for Lafayette. That's true. Because Lafayette is 3-8. and eight. So I guess if Holy Cross loses, Lafayette wins, then Lafayette can get the automatic bid. Yeah, I, I, I'm, that must be it. That's got to be it. Southland is the final conference that we have here. And this is coming down to one game. Winner of Nichols and Southeast Louisiana will win the Southland this Thursday. That is a game that we will likely be previewing in the UWU. Game of the week. Yeah. So we're going to make sure we get that out in time because that is a huge game. Very rarely do you have a game that has two teams fighting to earn a victory in their conference and winning their conference outright in the final week of the season. Who are you picking here, though, Sean? I'm taking Southeastern Louisiana out of principle from Nichols. And every time I see Nichols going um, for one of these games, they fold. Like the cheap chaise lounge that they are. So, <laughs> well, by that prediction, basically Nichols is going to win then. <laughs> but um, I'm taking Southeast Louisiana, Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, but, I mean, it, it's looking like we can get three playoff teams from here. Yeah. At least. I mean, Sam Houston State didn't do themselves any favors last week. But, I mean, six and five, if they get seven wins, I think it'd be somebody somewhere in contention. Yeah, that Sam Houston State l- losing to Northwestern State. Completely took them out of the equation, but Central Arkansas is hovering behind. They have a better overall record than both Nichols and Southeastern Louisiana, but they lost to both of those teams, so that essentially cancels them out. Yep. Um, they don't have any relative shot to win it, so we're going to have three teams winning it. I think that my pick here has to be Nichols State. I think that they're going to end up winning this conference. Um, I understand that they haven't played well in these big games, but I think that this is going to be the time that they stand up and stop who they're playing. They're ready to they're ready to win the conference. They want to go right back to the playoff. All right. Now, boys and girls, sit on down because we got a little thing called Friscology, which is the study of getting to Frisco. And going along with our projection theme of today's show, we're going to be giving you our top eight bracket seeds, what we're projecting, what we think will happen, what is about to conclude at the end of this week before it ends up being announced? So, Sean, do you want to run down your list first? Yeah, sure. And my number eight is what I want to happen, but it'll it'll no, it'll change won't. to what what I'll change. I'll, I'll throw in what will happen. Uh, my one one through eight here: North Dakota State, JMU, Montana, Sac State, Weber State, South Dakota State University at six. Seven is Illinois State. Eight is Monmouth. And but what will likely happen is that. Wofford will be taking uh, eight instead of Monmouth. So mine's not too far off from yours. North Dakota State one, JMU two, Montana moves up to three, and I don't want to. I don't want to really see too much of a fall from Weber State. Put them at four. Sacramento State at five. South Dakota State at six with that huge win they have this week. Wofford sneaking their way in because they had a good record and they won their conference. Right. They deserve that seven spot, and then I think Illinois State has done enough to secure that eight spot in these final seedings. That's fair. 
All right, we have a ton of questions this week, Sean. We got Kwame's Corner is packed to the brim. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight questions that we're going to answer today. So we're going to try and hit as many of them as we can. First question from our very good friend Kwame. And he was asking, what is the psychology of the team's locker room that is in about every single game they play, but they can't pull it to win? So Kwame is essentially asking, what's it like being in the locker room of a team that loses all of these close games? And he alluded to the fact that we have been in this situation. And it's not just been this year. It's been like that all four years that we've been here. And I, I think that... When you lose a, when you're getting your butt kicked and you're losing by a huge margin, it's just kind of like let's get the heck out of here. But when you're like that and you get your hopes up and you think that you're about to win a football game, that really kills your head. It kills your mentality. It's hard to stay positive the rest of the year. You can kind of go lost numb, like you you can kind of get a little more numb to it if you get blown out. But football finds a way of getting you in emotionally invested, no matter how emo, uh, how no matter how much you want to try to separate your emotions from it, just because you're, you're kind of tired of, of going numb like that and you're tired or tired of feeling like that. So you just kind of create that little barrier. But when you have these close games, it drags you back in and it just adds more onto it. So it's, it's impossible to refrain from feeling what's what's the word despair when you lose those games like that I mean it's the worst feeling in the world when you all you want to do is kind of separate yourself like that but then you just get dragged back into it and then you have that hope and you have that competitive fire in you that all you want to do is win and it just gets yanked from you it's tough you know it's tough I, I think that this year's team locker room at least for an example for us has been the healthiest it's been in the four years here and it's probably been some of the worst losses and most heartbreaking losses that we've had mm-hmm. in our four years. I mean, our freshman and, and, and sophomore year, I mean, it was uglier just it, just yeah. mentally it, in the locker room. Anytime we were in games like that, guys were cursing at each other. Guys were yelling at each other early on. But th- this year has been completely different um, because we have a mature group of, of leaders and seniors that have been and fighting and have been the best players on the team since they came in. Um and it's a lot different, you know, that loss happens and guys are frustrated, but it's like, let's stick together. Everybody bring it on in. We got to, you know, we got to keep pushing and it's happened every single time we've lost one of those games. So if you have the right team and you, and you're mature and you have the right guys in there, it's a lot easier to rebound from. Right. But it's, it's tough. You, you, the self doubt starts to build up eventually. It's tough. It is really tough. Ryan Roberts asked the next thanks, question. Kwame. Yeah, thanks, Kwame. <laughs> Starting us off here like that. Oh, Making us depressed. <laughs> next question from Ryan Roberts, who loves to ask us draft questions. And he's asking, have you seen a quarterback at the FCS level play on a level like Trey Lance is playing right now? Second leading rusher on the team, 23 touchdowns, 70% completion, and zero interceptions in 11 games. Th- those are unreal numbers. And I think at the FCS level, you don't really see – that full level of two dimension in their game where right. they're so clean and completing their passes that well and not having any interceptions, but also being a very efficient runner and, and being dominant on the ground because usually it's one or the other. Somebody's got a really good arm and they're a really good quarterback, but they're a little bit more hampered by their physical and athletic um, limitations or it's the other way around where they're very athletic. They've got um, tons of athletic traits, but they're, arm capability and their accuracy and their ability to complete 
those simple passes might not be as good. Yeah, what I the the one that I've seen, I'm trying to remember his name, the uh, quarterback for UNH, uh, for the um. Trevor Knight. Trevor Knight is one of the most impressive quarterbacks that I've seen in person just because he makes all the throws he needs to make and his scrambling and running ability. It's just he was always finding the right spot of the field to run and always finding the right spot of the field to throw. So personally, he's probably one of the most impressive quarterbacks that I've seen. Uh, But Trey Lance is obviously on a kind of on another level, given that he just doesn't turn the ball over. And I think that that's a really good look for for aspiring to the next level if you can see that he's not turning the ball over he's being protective and maybe it's just because he's on such a great team and the system's really good but you still can't turn the ball over and he's not doing that which is really impressive if you look at North Dakota State and what they've done at the quarterback position you know you have Carson Wentz you have Easton Stick get drafted and now you have Trey Lance playing at a huge level both of those guys I would argue fit that kind of mold but we're not able to play at such an incredible quality and, and and tempo that he has been I think that they're just North Dakota State knows what they want in a quarterback, and then they know how to properly develop them. They've obviously had different coaches here and there, but they've been consistent in finding those same guys and developing those that are athletes first, but also are good leaders and are smart with the football and aren't overly aggressive uh, and crazy with it. Carson Wentz was a little bit more overly aggressive, and, and we see that now with the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, that he is more willing to put the ball in some tight type places that gunslinger mentality but Trey Lance is just so smart so efficient you don't see that from a guy that is so young being able to play that well Sean Blythe is asking North Alabama has been impressive in their first years coming from Division 2 and Idaho has added a little depth in the big sky what teams would you want or choose to join the FCS or either the FBS or D2 from either FBS or D2 i.e. Valdosta State to the Big South from D2 or UMass Old Dominion returning. I don't see – what Idaho did was very unique, so I don't see that happening again. But do you, right. do you have any teams that kind of jump out to you? I, I don't think uh, – first of all, I don't think ODU returns. I think they're playing very well yeah. in the CUSA. I think they're proving that they are uh, – you know, they, they have the capability to play up with the FBS teams. And I don't think they're going to return. I think they like where they're at. Um, I like the one that you put in here, Slippery Rock, because I went on a visit at Slippery Rock, and I was very impressed with what they had done. And they're one of the best D2 schools in the nation. And they are—they're not—they don't feel like a D2 school when you're walking through there, and you see that the products that they produce. I mean, they—they they push out NFL players and talents like that all the time. So I think they could easily come and transition from D2 to FB, FCS uh, next year if they wanted to, and they—they wouldn't look like that. It take been. It wouldn't even look like it. I think it would, they'd look like they've been in the FCS since it started. So that'd be my pick, I think. Yeah, I think Slippery Rock makes a really good case here. They, they're they actually underrated in the sense that they pull a ton of guys from the FCS level that choose to leave and want to play right away, and they come and they dominate. So I, I don't think they'd have any issues in bringing that kind of talent because they're constantly trying to recruit guys. Uh, they had a running back that was at the East-West Shrine game last year who was from Delaware. Uh, right now they have uh, Roland Rivers, who I actually got to meet this summer and I got to train with him uh, at the at the gym that I was working at it. And he has a lot of buzz hovering around how good he is going to be. He transferred from Valdosta State and has been a huge contributor for that uh, Slippery Rock team. So I could see someone like them moving up. But the other two that we have here, uh, Minnesota State, there are murmurs of them trying to move up to FCS. I've heard from some people that have taken visits there that that's what they're trying to sell. And then the final one is... Uh, Lenoir Rhine, 
who has Kyle Duggar right now, and he is going to be drafted in the first three rounds of the draft this year. Big athletic safety. So they have been able to find that talent and develop it. That, I think, is a big key that you can sell in moving up. And they also have some decent quality facilities as well. You got anything oh, else? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was just else. prepping for the next question. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I know why you're smiling. So, uh, Sh- Sean Blythe uh, <laughs> had another question. Uh, also, at Nick Jomas and I were are needing constant reassurance that KSU will make it to the playoff field, into the playoff field. Can Sean Anderson, 65, clown on this bit to ease the superstition? You know, I think the biggest clowning on them would just be not, like saying as many nice things as possible about Kennesaw. Oh, just to, just to get at him. <laughs> All right. Sean Blythe. <laughs> Kennesaw State stinks. Their unis, they stink. Their band stinks. Their oh, stadium oh. stinks. <laughs> oh, you they got rolled by Monmouth. They're going to keep on getting rolled. They're not going to make it. Their lead trumpeteur stinks. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that's sarcastic. <laughs> their logo, a stinker. The what? K and the S. Ugh, look at this one. Also, who's an owl? Yeah, an owl. That's intimidating. The second best owls in college football behind FIU. Or <laughs> <laughs> right, is it FA, F, it, FAU? It's or? FA, FAU. FAU. FIU is the Panthers. Ah. Uh, yeah, you tried. Still. Um, owls. Give me a break. Kennesaw State. Wait, what's this? You thing? wish you could be Alcorn Whoa, State. What's You're this, not Alcorn State. What's this note in here that says uh, you won't, you have permission to say anything positive you want? What is that? Am I, am I supposed to say positive things about I don't them? know. I don't remember putting that in there. That must have just been in there. Um. I didn't put that. And we're not saying anything positive. I, that, that must have been part of the question. Who else has, who else has access to this doc? <laughs> I don't know, maybe Ivory? <laughs> All right, next is from my good friend Jake Maggio, who is the backup long snapper at Maine. And you just want to know, what are Maine's chances of getting in? So they're 6-5 and five right now, got a victory over us this past week. They're playing UNH this week. I think that if a 7-5 and five Maine team beats UNH, I, I would argue that's enough. That's enough to put them in it. I would agree that that might that would be enough to put him in it, especially if Richmond loses this week. Richmond is five and six overall and four and three in conference. Just ev- just like everybody else in the CAA is four and three in conference. But if Maine beats New Hampshire, New Hampshire falls to four and four. Maine steps up to five and three, and then Maine's overall record is six and five. So it, and then seven and five, I think. S- yeah, seven and five. So seven wins in the CAA, you'll probably you'll probably make it in the playoffs, yeah. especially if you are five and three in conference and you're up in the upper echelon of the uh, conference there in uh, games one. Yeah, because the CAA is so difficult, they'll probably be one of those last few teams in with seven wins. Next question we have, and these are the last two from our good friend Nick Massaroni. Short and sweet, who is the best position, who is in the best position to get the eight seed? Wofford, Monmouth, Nova, triple question mark. Who do you think is in the best position? And uh, we, we kind of already alluded to this in our but, picks. Yeah, we believe I, – I believe that I want it to be Monmouth, but Wofford's going to get it. Yeah, I, th- I think Wofford is going to sneak their way in. They're going to be seven or eight. But also, I think Illinois State has earned the right to be in there as well. Uh, Villanova, I think, is going to be on the outside looking in as far as getting a seed, but they're still going to make the playoff. Right. They have no issues in making it. Last question we have, and uh, put us on the spot here, uh, Nick Massaroni. Uh, one more question. Will you and Sean Anderson continue the show after this year? Yes, we pro- we were gonna keep doing this as long as we can, as, as long as we'd like to, as long as nothing interferes with it or 
you know, career paths might interfere. We're going to try and keep doing this. We love doing this. As long as all of you keep on interacting with us yes. and we keep on seeing that, that, that there's growth. And I mean, honestly, it's tough to, to break in at this, at this kind of level of media, especially with this FCS subdivision, which is a, it's, it's a niche market. But all of the listeners and fans and people that interact with us are the reason that we keep on doing the show. I mean, it, we've become more passionate about FCS. When we started, we're like, oh, you know, it's a, it's a pro gig, and we know a, a good amount about this already. But, you know, it's not like we're covering our, our number one passions. But through these last seven or eight months that we've been doing this and seeing the response from all the fans and all the people that we've met and been able to talk to and talk with, it's just become a part of our lives that we don't really want to stop doing. Yeah, we're just continuing to gain traction and keep moving forward. Um, you know, for those listening that were also kind of wondering the same thing, you know, help us out. Keep um, keep pushing us. Keep uh, giving us good feedback. Keep offering t- uh, to your friends to listen, yeah, suggest exactly. to us, anything you want to do. Uh, we, we've seen continual growth throughout the season, and, and I think that's been what's motivated us. And with the occasional swing here or there, we want to keep doing this. Um, when the off season comes, we're going to have some different plans, probably transition back to that one, one a week show, just because there might not be as much to cover right. in two shows a week. We're not the type of show that would do two shows and talk about nothing for two shows. Yeah. We're going to give you the best content that we can. Yeah. We're not going to pointless, other, meaningless content. Other shows might do that. Yeah. We will not. You know, two shows is just to fill a quota yeah. for some people. Um, all right. That's going to be it for us. Though Sean, Just talking to hear their own voices. Thank you, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to us, which is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, you name it. We are there. In addition to that, follow us on Twitter at Joe DeLeon and at Sean Anderson sixty five. Also follow Believe Podcasts at Believe Podcasts B L E A V on Instagram and Twitter. Additionally. And finally, if you can't find us anywhere else, you can go to Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Also, make sure you uh, tweet at Sean and I. Let us know what you're thinking. Tweet during the games. If you got some crazy take or thought, tweet at us. We'll respond to you. We'll do what we can to respond to you. That's right. All right. Have a wonderful rest of your day, folks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.